Gwydion here. Welcome back to Chicken Philosophy. Sorry I'm not in a better mood, it's just that uh, it's my turn to read Martin Luther. You might recall in an earlier episode... <laughs> Martin Luther? <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I I'm going to have to abstain to vote on this one. Right now, you're the tiebreaker. I suppose I'm in favor of anybody who goes against the prevailing social order and class system of the time. Did you just compare Martin Luther to the Buddha? I think I'm going to have to change my vote. I vote in favor of uh, reading Martin Luther. Yeah, so Pymander broke the tie, and so now me and BT and Edward get to rotate reading, uh, reading Martin Luther. So, without further ado, Gwydion. Hey, Gwydion. Hey, Pymander, I was just talking about you. <laughs> it pains me to see you suffer like this. It's, uh, you know, it is what it is. I feel partially or perhaps wholly responsible for the fact that you have to read Martin Luther now every 12 episodes of Chicken Philosophy. Is it? Is it one out of every 12? Yeah, it's 12, four and three, as you can see from this uh, mandala that I've created. Um, <clears throat> in the innermost circle, I mean at the center obviously is the chicken, but uh, the, the circle immediately around the chicken uh, shows the three of you, uh, you, Edward, and BT rotating with every episode. And the, the outermost uh, layer shows the four books that you're currently reading um, rotating uh, every episode. And so every 12 episodes, it lines up such that you are reading um, Martin Luther. So I would like to offer when that happens, when it lines up, Gwydion, Martin Luther like that. I, I would like to volunteer to, to take your place since you, you were so kind as to come out from the pyramid and, uh, and take my place when it was me, Edward and BT rotating. And, uh, and, and I, I feel indebted to you for that. And, uh, and I would like to do this for you. I, I would like to read Martin Luther in your place um, when, when it comes up. <sighs> I'm speechless. I, I would love if you would, would do that. That would be really cool. Of course. Thank you. Here, you can... Uh... All right. Okay. That's where the bookmark is. <clears throat> the Heidelberg Disputation, 1518. April through May, 1518. The German Augustinians... Oh, uh, Editor Edward, could you cue some music? Appropriate to me reading Martin Luther. Very nice, very nice, okay. The German Augustinians converse in Heidelberg for their triennial assembly to conduct the order's business, to hear speeches, to be inspired, etc. The date and place were set long before. The keynoter and topic were set when the ruckus caused by the 95 theses 
thrust Luther into the spotlight. The brothers would want and need to hear about this so-called Wittenberg theology. So John Staupitz, that surname, I hate to say it, is the Pitts, but oh, I'm sorry, no, I'm sure it's normal in German. Okay, uh, where were we? John Staupitz, the head of the order in Germany, tabbed Luther. The venerable Staupitz, uh, coincidentally dean of the University of Wittenberg, who knew and supported Luther, instructed him to avoid the controversial topic of indulgences and stick to more central theological ideas. Luther obeyed, but actually moved in an even more radical direction. His theme, the theology of the cross, focuses on traditional theological topics, God's law and human works, and, uh, excuse me, sin and forgiveness, free will and grace. But he dealt with them in a new way. Luther no longer proposes to reform only the content of the church's teaching on topics like indulgences. Here he proposes a new method, a new way of theological reflection, calling theologians of the cross to wrestle honestly with the paradoxes of the faith. Now we're moving into uh, the actual text. That was like the penguin, penguin classics introduction. Okay, Brother Martin Luther, Master of Theology, will chair the proceedings as Brother Len Leonhard Bayer, Master of Philosophy, defends the following theses at the May meeting of Augustinians at the usual place in the famous city of Heidelberg. Regarding theology. I think this is Martin Luther talking now. The Spirit teaches us that in Proverbs 3, 5, quote, do not rely on your own insight. End quote. Therefore, we do not trust our abilities. Oh, good start. I'll just keep reading. And we respectfully submit these theological paradoxes. Where's the paradox? Sorry. Continue reading. To those of us who gather at Heidelberg. In this way, we might plainly see if they do or do not actually stem from the Apostle Paul, that chosen vessel and instrument of Christ, and from St. Augustine, the Apostle's most faithful interpreter. God's law is the best teaching by which to live. The law, however, cannot help human beings become righteous before God. The law rather actually stands in the way of that goal. The Apostle Paul clarifies this in Romans 3.21, quote, But now, apart from law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. 
three dots, end quote. So that's, uh, that's my impersonation of Martin Luther quoting St. Paul, if you were wondering about the voice. It's three layers removed. Anyway, St. <clears throat> Augustine puts it thus in his book, The Spirit and the Letter, quote, St. Augustine, according to Martin Luther, <clears throat> Without the law, no, I'll just read it. Without the law, that is, without its support, end quote. Oh, oh that was short. In Romans 5.20, the apostle states, quote, But law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied, end quote. And no law, no trespass. Yeah, he's an anarchist. I get it. Early anarchists. Paul and St. Augustine, right? No. No, not at all. Okay. And in Romans 7, 9, he adds, quote, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin arrived. End quote. Oh, revived. Sin revived. End quote. For this reason, in Romans 8.2, Paul describes the law as, quote, the law of sin and of death, end quote. And in 2 Corinthians 3.6, he writes, quote, the letter kills, end quote. Throughout his book, The Spirit and the Letter, St. Augustine then applies this to every law, including God's most holy law. Human works, even with the help of natural principles and repeated effort, are even less able to assist people toward that goal. God gives people the divine law, which is holy and spotless, true, righteous, etc., to assist them beyond their human capacities, to show them, to show them that which is good, and motivate them toward it. The, excuse me, yet the reverse happens when they do evil instead. Emphasis on evil because of the capital E. How can they, without only their own power, excuse me, with only their own power, and without this kind of help, do good deeds? Killer argument there. You can't have morality without Christianity, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beat that, atheists. Kidding. Okay, sorry. I'll just, I'm sorry. I'll get... Get back into it. All right, Martin Luther. Respectfully reading Martin Luther. Okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. In the spirit of ecumenicism, I will do this. If people do not do what's right with external assistance like this, then they will do even less on their own. As the Apostle puts it, quote, all people are corrupt and worthless. 
There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside." End quote. Human works always look nice and appear to be good. Always, really? Especially the ones done in the name of the Christian God, right? Ever heard of the Inquisition? Sorry, I'm sorry. I'll keep reading. However, they are all probably still mortal sins. Yeah, probably. All human works, probably. Mortal sins, all of them. I'm looking for the diamond in the rough here. We'll find it. It must be in here somewhere. The 95 Theses were cool. It had its moments. Okay. Human works may look nice from the outside, but on the inside they are unclean, as Christ says about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27. Okay. These works may seem good and beautiful, but God does not judge externals only. Rather, God searches the minds and hearts. Without grace and faith, it is impossible to have a pure heart. Quote, he cleaned their hearts by faith, end quote. Cleansed? Cleansed. Here's the evidence for this thesis. Oh, good, I can't wait. First, if the works of righteous folks are sins, see thesis seven below, they're even more than even more are the works of unrighteous folks. Checkmate. Sorry, it was the 16th century. Their logic was absurd. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yet, I mean 6th century BC, sorry. I won't compare Buddhism with Christianity because it'll make Christianity look really stupid. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I can do this, I can do this. Sorry, I, mea culpa, mea culpa. Okay, yet, the, forgive me, right, sorry. Yet the righteous talk about their works in this way, quote, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, Lord, because no one living is righteous before you. End quote. So you might as well go bugger that owl over there, because yeah, everybody's you know. sorry, that was that was a wasn't my that was my dad. That was a, an actual quote. Might as well go bugger that owl over there. John Dan Reed. Okay, so referring to Christian logic specifically. You might as well go bugger that owl over there because you're going to hell anyway, so why not? That's the, he was making fun of, of the logic of Southern Baptists. Okay, sorry, sorry. Am I sorry? No, I'm not. Okay, I'll be more honest from here on out. Sorry, not sorry. No, no, no. That's that's terrible. Oh God. Oh, this is this is this is offensive, Edward. I mean, Pymander. This is uh, how can you put this out on the airwaves? You're making everybody look bad. Everybody. 
especially yourself. Watch it, young man. Be less sinful. Okay, sorry. Second, oh, more evidence. Okay, so that was the first evidence, and obviously flawless logic. So we're going to continue. Second, the Apostle Paul says, well, that's a great way to start a piece of evidence. I mean, that's even better than the Bible says. Okay, sorry. Second, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.10, quote, all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. End quote. Um, hey, uh, Gwydion, uh, you, you once um, quoted the lyrics of Hark the Herald Angel Sings um, in, a, in, in your Christmas special. Can we, can we play that here just for a moment? He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Thank you, Gwydion. Okay. Okay, now, uh, because human works are the works of the law and venial sins do not warrant the curse, then they are actually mortal sins. That's the second piece of evidence that the sins of the unrighteous are worse than the sins of the righteous. Okay, third, Romans 2.21 states, quote, You who teach others not to steal, do you steal? Oh, that's fair. I admit that's fair. End quote. Uh, St. Augustine interprets this to mean that people are thieves according to their guilty consciences, even if they publicly judge or reprimand other thieves. You know... Uh, that, I have to admit, has a little bit of ring of truth to it. Okay, so you presented three pieces of evidence of something, and, uh, and the third one had a ring of truth, but not really related to the point that was being made by the three pieces of evidence. Okay, we're here. All right, we're all on board. <sighs> Wasn't there was a time when Edward was reading Carl Jung was it Carl Jung? No, it was it was the Arbitel. This was this was a struggle. This was a, a kind of similar struggle with the Arbitel. All right, we're gonna get back into it. God's works always look unattractive and appear to be bad. However, they are true everlasting merits. Okay. Isaiah 53.2 clearly states that the works of God are unattractive. Quote, he had no form of comeliness. Let's bring back comeliness. I think we should in this modern era. Gen Alpha, comeliness. 
um, hitherto, henceforth, we shall, sorry. Um, end quote. In 1 Samuel 26, excuse me, 2, 6, quote, the Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol and raises up, end quote. This means the Lord humbles and terrifies us by the law and our sins. That way, we appear to the eyes of others as in our own, as nothing, foolish, wicked. Because we are. We acknowledge and confess that no form or beauty belongs to us. Our lives are hidden in God with only naked confidence in God's mercy. Do you have naked confidence in We find in ourselves nothing but sin, foolishness, death, and hell. As the Apostle writes, quote, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as dying and behold we live, end quote. Isaiah calls this, quote, the alien work of God. Is that really what it says? My eyes aren't playing tricks on me? All right. Uh, that needs to be on more memes. Um, that's... Uh, that's apparently Isaiah 28, 21, the alien work of God. All right. That God works in us, that is, the Lord humbles as thoroughly, making, uh, making us despair, so that we may be lifted up in divine mercy, giving us hope. Habakkuk. 3.2, is that still in the Bible or is that just in the 16th century version? Alludes to this, quote, in wrath, remember mercy, end quote. Such people are therefore displeased with all their works, see no beauty, but only their unattractiveness. Indeed, they also do those things which appear foolish and disgusting to others. Yes, yes. We become aware of this either when God punishes us or when we ex accuse ourselves, as 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, quote, if we judged ourselves truly, we should not be judged. End quote. By the Lord, oh. Deuteronomy 32.36 also states, quote, The Lord will vindicate God's people and have compassion on the Lord's servants, end quote. Therefore, the, quote, unsightly works, end quote, which God does in us, those works which are humble and devout are really immortal. Humility and fear of God are our entire merit. 
These human works, these works that appear to be good, but are actually mortal sins, uh, are not necessarily crimes. Crimes are those misdeeds which can be adjudicated before a court. Adultery, theft, homicide, slander, etc. Mortal sins, however, are works that seem nice, but actually grow like fruit from an evil tree with evil deeds, uh, evil roots. Augustine describes this in Against Julian, Book 4. God's works, the works that God accomplishes through human beings, do not accumulate merit for those folks as if they were not as if they were not still sinners. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, we read, quote, Surely there is no one on earth so righteous as to do good without ever sinning. End quote. Some people maintain that, although righteous persons indeed sin, they do not sin when they are doing what is right. We would respond, if that is what this passage intends to say, then why so much useless verbiage? Does the Holy Spirit enjoy such rambling jibber-jabber? This meaning could be more straightforwardly said. Quote, there is no one on earth as righteous as to act without ever sinning. Oh, Martin Luther fixed it. Mm. He who is without sin should nail the 95 theses to the, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure he would acknowledge that he's full of sin. It just doesn't come across in his speeches. End quote. <clears throat> Why does the Spirit add, quote, as to do good, end quote, as if another person were righteous who did evil? Because no one except a righteous person does good. And when the Spirit speaks of sins outside the realm of good works, the Spirit speaks like this, quote, Though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again. End quote. The Spirit does not say, quote, righteous people fall seven times when they do good. End quote. A metaphor comes to mind. If someone chops with a corroded and dull hatchet, even though the worker is a good craftsperson, the tool leaves bad, rough, and ugly gashes. So it is when God works through us. All right, I thought we were going to finish a section today, but uh, that seems like a good enough place to start, uh, to stop. And uh, we'll finish his speech, um, or someone will finish. Who's up next? I guess that would be BT. BT will finish the Heidelberg Disputation next time on the Martin Luther section of uh, Chicken Philosophy. What did you think of that, Gwydion? Hmm? Honestly, I, I wasn't paying attention. I was just having a moment with uh, with the bodhisattva here. <laughs> nice.
That's a very nice bodhisattva you've got there. How would you like to do a little bibliomancy? You can read uh, whatever page you happen to turn to. Just read, I don't know, three paragraphs or whatever. Read until it feels like an okay place to stop. Uh, we've got here book four of Master Dogen's Shobogenzo, the one who brought Chan from China to Japan and because of his accent, he called it Zen. Yeah, cool. All right. Let's see what we got here. When Master Ikai, the Zen Master Daichi of Hyakujo, gives his informal preaching, Generally present, there is an old man. He always listens to the Dharma, along with the assembly. And when the people in the assembly retire, the old man also retires. Then suddenly, one day he does not retire. The master eventually asks him, What person is this standing before me? The old man answers, I am not a person. In the past age of Kasyapa Buddha, I used to preside on this mountain. Once a student asked me, do even people in the state of great practice fall into cause and effect or not? I answered, they do not fall into cause and effect. Since then, I have fallen into the body of a wild fox for 500 lives. Now I beg you, Master, to say for me the words of transformation. I long to be rid of the body of a wild fox. Then he asks, do even people in the state of great practice fall into cause and effect or not? The Master says, do not be unclear about cause and effect. The old man, under these words, realizes the great realization. He does prostrations and said, I, and says, I am already rid of the body of a wild fox and would like to remain on the mountain behind this temple. Dare I ask the master to perform for me the rites for a deceased monk? The master orders the supervising monk to strike the block and tell the assembly, after the meal, we will see off a deceased monk. All the monks discuss this, saying the whole Sangha is well and there is no sick person in the Nirvana Hall. What is the reason for this? After the meal, the master is simply leading the monks to the foot of a rock on the mountain behind the temple and picking out a dead fox with a staff. They then cremated according to the formal method. In the evening, the master preaches in the hall and discusses the preceding episode. Obaku then asks, The man in the past answered mistakenly with the words of transformation and fell into the body of a wild fox for 500 lives? If he had gone on without making a mistake, what would have become of him? The master says, Step up here. I will tell you. Obaku finally steps up and gives the master a slap. 
The master claps his hands and laughs and says, You have just expressed that a foreigner's beard is red, but it is also a fact that a red beard is a foreigner. Bye.